Welcome to the Principles of Performance podcast, where we discuss how to optimize your health, fitness, and performance. Drawing on decades of experience of working as coaches, consultants, and trainers to top performers, athletes, and teens from professional sports to top universities to the U.S. military, Eric Degatti and Mike Perry discuss topics and strategies of how to perform at your highest level and be your very best. Join us and our friends and colleagues who are leaders in the fitness and performance industry as we investigate and challenge the most popular training, nutrition, lifestyle, and recovery protocols. the Principles of Performance podcast. I'm your host, Eric Degatti, along with my friend and co-host, Mike Perry. Mike, welcome to episode number 79. 79. That's crazy. Uh, Gosh, we've been doing this for a while now, huh? Yeah, and and we keep getting good ones. We got a good one here today, um, you know, and it's it's a good topic because, you know, I actually just got this question this past weekend. Uh, A family friend has a son who I actually, you know, coach when he was younger and says, Hey, he's studying exercise science in school. Could you talk to him about what to do? He doesn't even know where to start, wants to get certified. And so I said, it'd be great if we had an episode that was just all about like the fitness education journey of like, where do you even get started? And then where do you go from there? And, and we have the perfect guest for this. It's, it, it's a, it's a friend of ours who we've known a long time. And probably between the three of us, Mike, I would guess that we've taught and, and done workshops for tens of thousands of trainers and probably mentored hundreds of trainers between the three of us. Um, so this is going to be cool. So we have our, our, our good friend, Diane Vivas is with us. She, she's one of the top female strength and conditioning specialists are in the world and the leader in the industry. She's the owner of Vivas training systems and fit for Austin down in Austin, Texas. Um, she's an international speaker for NSCA. Uh, she was also on their board of directors and she's coached the Chinese Olympic team coaches and was the first female on the Under Armour Perform- performance advisory council. She's also the creator of the Smart Sets Training System, training the female athlete, H2O training, and the co-author of Speed, Agility, and Quickness, as well as Sports Speed, uh, all published by Human Kinetics. And she's been in all the magazines, Muscle and Fitness for Her, Shape, Women's Fitness, Runner's World, you name it. She's a lead instructor and former director of education for Functional Movement Systems, where we had the, the thrill of working together with her. And she serves as the Senior Director of Wellness and Fitness and Professional Education for No Fully Learning Group D. Awesome that we finally got this to happen. Uh, this is exciting. I love it. Um, and and I totally love that that intro just dates me, which is is perfect. I love it. Um, so we, we date ourselves every single show. Wait till I start talking about <laughs> DVDs and cassette tapes. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it's right. honestly, it's, a, it's an honor to be here. I, I, I love you guys and uh, really appreciate you asking me to be on. No, the feeling is mutual. And so let's let's dive right in. So since the, the pandemic, our industry has gone through a pretty um, significant change with unfortunately a large portion of the industry being populated by novice trainers because a lot of people got unfortunately taken out by, by the pandemic. And so since you know, you're someone, as we mentioned, who mentors trainers quite a bit, what do you kind of guide them as is your first steps to take to kind of be on the path to becoming a credible professional? Um, I think the key word there is is credible professional. I think uh, based on the pandemic, people going through different experiences, some people have this idea of dabbling a little bit into personal training to see what it's about. But when you cross that threshold of saying, I really want to do this, I want to be a professional, it really um, demands that you get the right education under your feet. If you have a foundation to be able to create that framework, then the expertise builds, the experience builds, you get influenced by a lot of experts like uh, the both of you that really help you build that career um, towards the, the population you want to work with. And I think the key there is that you have to have a foundation framework that gives you the right feedback as you're starting out. And so choosing the certification or education that you're going to start with um, is, is one key point there. And then how do you start building on that? I love vision boards. I love visually, you know, planning things out. And I think new trainers just need to understand that 
um, if you really want this to be your career, you're going to have to invest. And that's really important is investing in yourself and investing in where you want to go. And so um, that, that would be the key thing that I really feel like would help novice trainers um, is the education piece foundation. And then really um, surrounding yourself with good people, the facility that you're to train in, uh, the people that you're um, looking to uh, have you, men you know, have, be mentored by, it's really surrounding yourself with good people and professionals. So I loved how you used the word dabble because um, it's definitely one of those careers which people think it's just easy and fun to do. You don't see people dabbling in dentistry or like dabbling in like <laughs> automotive repair. Like, yeah, sure, they're going to do a few things at home, but they're not, they're not going to start charging people after a weekend certification. So um, it's definitely uh, it's definitely a decision, in my opinion, that has to be made if you really want to be that top 1%. But, you know, the hard part is, is the fitness industry has a low, uh, a very, very low barrier of entry, right? And there's not really yeah. any licensure or, or certification process, how do we know the good education providers from the bat? Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of employers have taken this step to try to guide trainers by listing out, here's the, the certifications that we deem valid. And one way that they do that is um, NCCA accreditation, which basically is an organization that says, we're not in the industry. What we do is we certify certifications to say this is at least they've got the key elements of knowledge, skills, and abilities to say this is a valid certification. And this provides the foundation that it claims it's going to provide. And so if you look at a lot of the major certifications that will be listed, if you go to your lifetime, your golds, your uh, equinox, um, they will list certifications. And many times it's based on this NCCA accreditation, just to give it some type of validity. And 98% um, of major chains in the U.S. require an NCCA uh, uh, certification. So um, that's just an important factor and something to look for. Yeah, it's funny what you said earlier, Mike. Like I, my um, youngest son is, is uh, starting his career in accounting. And I always say that the one advantage that you have is that you don't have to compete against accounting enthusiasts. Like I have to yeah. compete against fitness enthusiasts who basically it would be like to go back to your dentist analogy, Mike, it's like, I brush my teeth every day. I get them clean twice a year. I, I think I got this. I, I could be a dentist. And so, and, and that's all I need to yeah. do. And so you have a lot of people who are out there training who've never trained anyone other than themselves uh, in their entire lives. And so, you know, kind of tying things together, you know, there's certification, and then there's obviously degrees in our field. Now, with college tuitions be going through the roof and becoming more and more expensive, trust me, I know. I, I, I just had one finish and another one in college, and we've been living on ramen noodles for the last 10 years. Um, it can be a difficult value proposition when you look at, you know, what a fitness pro actually earns, especially out of the gate, versus what they need to invest to, to get a degree in that field. So talk about the difference between having a formal academic degree versus just being certified. Yeah, I mean, things have definitely changed. I, I do believe that there's uh, a foundation of being a certified personal trainer. And then if you are fortunate enough to have that long vision of what might be after that, do I want to have the opportunity to be a, a director of personal training uh, within an organization? Or I, do I want to own my own business? There's different aspects of um, that go beyond personal training that potentially could warrant having a degree. But when you're starting out, that is very, like you said, that that is a huge chunk to be able to bite off and look at loans and student loans and everything around that. Having a solid certification that really provides that foundation um, allows you to get started, allows you to become a professional. And what you need to realize is if you wanna work in academics, if you want to work in research, if you find yourself wanting to expand in these other areas of performance and fitness and work within these organizations and or um, be a business owner, you may seek out other education that's going to provide that foundation. And I will say that I talked to more employers that they used to say, you have to have a degree to even fill out our application to be hired. That's no longer the case. 
in a lot, they recognize that a lot of certifications will provide that foundation, but it's, it's, what do you want to set yourself up for long-term? So um, it's a, it's a hard proposition to, to kind of balance that out degree um, and bite off that big chunk. And uh, I think, I think it's changed a little bit also in the fact of life experience. A lot of employers will say, you know, I will take somebody who is showing me the ambition, the responsibility, the accountability, the traits that actually bring a great team member on board versus the person that just simply has credentials behind their name. So that's something that I think has kind of changed within the industry too. And I think another factor, because Mike, I know you're going to go into like the different big certifications and kind of mm -hmm. weighing one out versus the other. The other thing that, that you need to consider is, is that as much as these certifications are businesses, so are the universities. And so yeah. you need to vet out them and research them no different than you would shop for a home or a car because it's that type of major purchase. And you need to look into it's there's a big difference between taking exercise science at one school versus another school and looking at what opportunities they afford for you. What do they set up in terms of internships? What what does their curriculum look like? You know, I know when I went through an exercise science curriculum, I was very disappointed to, to, to see just how little time we actually spent in a gym or fitness center learning exercise. And we learned a lot of stuff that I've never used. I don't remember the last time I sat somebody on a bike with a blood pressure cuff and, and did, you know, that type of testing with them because that's not the population I ended up working with. But I didn't learn a lot about it, the things that practically when the rubber hit the road that I really wish I did learn. So vetting out your university to find out more about their program before you go and invest in, into, into their business is extremely important as well. Yeah. So, so one thing I want to sort of, sort of take a little bit of a left turn here, because I think it's important to discuss this. Um, you know, it's very, very odd. I will see people spend and then take out loans for $150,000, $200,000 for a bachelor's degree, and they really don't know anything about training. But you ask them to pay for a $750 certification, they're like, that's too much money. It's a very, very weird way to do it. And we see it all the time. And and I wish we could reframe that because look, we, we've we been in education for a long time and and you guys you know, a little bit longer than I have, but there are so many good courses out there and so many good internships. Um, Imagine if you took 50 grand and took four years of your life and took the, you know, the best courses, try to put yourself with the best internships, find the best mentors. I think that would be like the sweet spot, right? Yeah. To think about what, you know, your, your, Granted, the financial investment is less, but at the end of the day, how much time you put into perfecting your craft is what's going to make you successful, not the the letters at the end of your name. So I, I would love to see that at some point be just, I don't want to say the right path, but just an option for people to understand. Yeah. And don't let it go unnoticed, Steve, how he mentioned how we've been in it longer than him, right? Well, well okay, actually, <laughs> yeah. okay, first of all, that was more Bastard. of like a... That was like a throw. That was like a. I wasn't the only one that you caught guys, that, man. You yeah. guys have taught me so Son much, and I, that was more of like a, like one of these. Yeah. Like I was just grateful. That wasn't like <laughs> a, a, a dig on you guys, but there's, there's all right, you guys are old too, as hell. You're old. As, no, I'm just kidding. No. Anyways, um, I was trying to be nice because you have more experience than I do, you have more wisdom. But anywho, um, let's talk about the big three. We're not talking about bench squat or power or uh, deadlift. So, uh. You know, when people talk about certifications, they usually talk about NSCA, which is National College of Strength of uh, National Strength and Conditioning Association, the uh, the National Academy of Sports Medicine, uh, NASM, and the American College of Sports Medicine, ASCM. So what's the difference? Like, how are they different? Because, you know, yeah. a lot of people think they're the same and they they pick the one that's maybe the easiest or maybe has the best marketing. So how are they different? Yeah, I think um, the important thing to note is you know, when we look at how these were built, just to, they each had their own bias and influence. They had specific um, influences by the people who created the content, the textbooks, the influence of that community. And so to say, um, just to, to point it out right off the bat, is they're each accredited by NCCA and they have a great foundation, but each one is a little bit different bias. Um, when you take NSCA, which that happens to be kind of where I grew up. And that's the, the organization that I was most involved in because I felt like I might want to work with athletes uh, when I, you know, as part of the population that I want to specialize in. And so when it came to choosing an organization, um, 
to be really honest, I'm a little bit of an overachiever. I, I finished with each one of those when I finished. Uh, uh, by the time I, I a, NSCA, ACSM, as I graduated, when NASM became available, I made sure that I understood what it was about and I got, I, I became certified in that too. But the, the NSCA allows you a little bit more of programming and performance emphasis because of its influence in strength and conditioning has a very robust and uh, physiology, anatomy. Uh, you're going to go, go a little bit deeper into uh, adaptation based on exercise. And it creates, um, you know, a lot of college courses use it as a foundational course, uh, the text and the content. So that kind of tells you right there what kind they were really building it for that purpose. ACSM comes from a little bit more of a uh, academic clinical background. They involve a little bit more testing emphasis. So they've created texts that even other organizations have used as a guideline for exercise testing. And so if you think that you want to work in um, more clinical set settings, cardiac rehab, um, you want more foundation and fitness testing, depending on you know uh, opportunities there, ACSM has been built to have a little bit more emphasis within that realm and around that research. And so really depending on, on what you're aiming for, that allows you to, to springboard from there. NASM came along a little bit later and it really was right after the emphasis of these physical therapists coming into the fitness world saying, you know, um, functional training is a, a real thing. Functional movement is a real thing. And they were one of the first ones that took a stab at, funct stab at functional anatomy in building a training model, the OPT model around that. And so they bypassed some of the more robust physiology that you had to learn, a lot uh, hormonal adaptation, all of that, that some of the other, organ other organizations require to really focus on more of the training piece, which is why a lot of um, uh, fitness chains really have said, you know what, this offers enough for a personal trainer to get started. And so NASM uh, offers that opportunity to really understand a little bit more functional anatomy and, and springboard from there. So you can kind of see how they each create a foundation, um, a beginning foundation, I just want to say. Each one requires going steps beyond that, but it's choosing, um, you know, one that just, if you can, if you can guess early on who you want to work with or have an opportunity with, um, that that's kind of how I would choose. Uh, as I, like I said, as I developed, I made sure I had I got each one so that I understood which, you know, what each one was about. So, a bunch of things you said there that I loved, and 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 I'm going to go a little bit deeper into into three in particular. One is uh, understanding how each of these organizations evolves over time based on who the leadership is of of that organization. Mm -hmm. You know, going way back when NASM first started. I took a lot of the courses. It was Tom Purvis who was who was uh, very heavily influencing their curriculum. So it was a lot of biomechanics and it was a lot of that type of learning. And then it changed when Mike Clark came in and became much more functionally based. And, and these things evolve over time. Um, just like ACSM was very cardiac rehab driven when I was in school, but now they've kind of, they've opened up their arms to more strength training and so forth over the years. And and so a lot of these things evolve over time. So you, so you need to do your, your homework and seeing, like you said, is this going to prepare me for the uh, situation I'm going into? Now, it's not going to be exactly what you need because everybody's situation is different. And there's certain things you're going to learn that you're just studying for the test. I don't remember the last time I really needed that NSCA information on exactly how high the mirror should be on the wall and how far apart the leg curl should be from the leg extension machine, you know, which was part, <laughs> I remember a test, a question on the exam. So um, also understand that, that, that what you just said is really important is that when I tell people, most people think getting, becoming a trainer or strength coach is I get certified and then that's it. That's like, I, I've now gone on the other side of the velvet rope and I'm in and I'm in for good. I explained that a certification is just a thin veil of uh, credibility and uh, uh, takes away a little bit of liability from you that they can say that you're certified. 
it is not the end all be all. It is just the beginning point, just to say you're at least credible enough that you've taken the time to learn something about this before you go and, and start implementing and imparting stress on other people. And so now there's that next step. And now the next step is where it really becomes the wild, wild west because we have mentorships, we have all these, you know, small mini online courses, you have uh, some more involved courses that are a little bit bigger. Uh, and those can go in a million different directions because of all the influences that have come into the fitness industry. And thankfully, because we can we can be so much more robust. But how do you start to sort out that information? Um, it's a great point. Uh, like you said, there is, especially since the pandemic, when we, you look online uh, at what is available, it is it is tremendous to where we used to have to travel and seek out, uh, you know, these these experts and the, these programs and figure out how we're going to pay for travel and all of that. Um, so much is available online now, which is is actually pretty fantastic. Um, but to your point, you get that foundation. You have to expect to be able to invest in yourself to be able to say what are next steps. And I think that it's really important if you want to be a professional, you want to build that expertise. You have to have a framework that gives you guidance first. And then as you build experiences through uh, training clients, training groups, whatever that looks like, you're going to be able, be able to build on that. And so for me, I think it's really important to look at uh, education and programs that can provide those, those feedback tools. That's one reason why I sought out FMS, Functional Movement Screen, is it gave me a good uh, movement feedback tool. It wasn't the end-all, be-all. Um, but again, it gave me something to build my foundation with in my program with. And then when we look at being able to build the training itself, there's a lot of different emphasis around um, where we've brought in these influences uh, for um, from the physical therapy world to really understand, you know, where does breathing come in? Where does, where does uh, recovery come in? Where does um, building these programs, um, what are the, the ways I can really continue to build out my framework so that I can get the experience, I can have the guidance. And that's really what I would look for as a novice trainer is I've got my foundation certification. Now I'm work looking at those pieces to build a framework that allows me some programming guidance. It keeps me safe with my clients. It um, helps me plan out the programs. It's not me jumping into the gym going, what do you want to do today? It's I've got a program. I'm showing value to that client. They're expecting that I've got their long-term goals in mind, and this is how we're going to get there. And so when we start building our value and our service and what we're going to charge, we have to think about what have we invested in to build out that program. And so for me to be a better trainer, it's, it's that framework of feedback tools um, for screening and testing. It's looking at, can I see, you know, how do I judge my results, at, you know, on a day in, day out, weekly and long-term basis and how I can show that to my clients. If their goal is in athletics, do I have the background to really steer them in that direction and build out smart programming? Is it weight loss? Have I, do I understand what behavior change is? Have I built out some things that now are available in health coaching that really develop um, a foundation and framework for um, lifestyle changes that are necessary for weight loss, things like that is building out that framework. Hey, everybody, a quick break in the action here. Hope you're enjoying the show and we appreciate you listening. We're working hard to bring you the highest quality content and best guests every single week. So if you could do us a big favor and go and like and subscribe to the show on whatever platform you get your podcasts on, it would be greatly appreciated. Be sure to listen at the end of the show also to find out more information about our courses, as well as a special discount code for all our listeners. Thanks again, and let's get back to the show. So what I love is this concept of this building this framework. You're basically essentially building a team of mentors by choosing which ones you're doing. And when you choose those mentors, the way I've always looked at it is to look for the people that are that know what you want to know or do what you want to do and say, how do I get myself in the company of them, even if it is through a course and say, okay, well, 
uh, you know, I can grow because I want to be able to do the kind of stuff that Gray Cook does or that Joel Jameson yeah. does or that John Berardi does. And so I need to, to learn from them and I'm going to go in the entry point and then how far you go down each rabbit hole will kind of steer you in different paths that a lot of times you're you're not even aware of where that path will take you. Now, I'm going to I'm going to switch gears a little bit before we you know hand it back to Mike and that, you know, you mentioned about the the um, prevalence of online courses that are out there right now. And obviously we have online courses, but Mike and I still would always prefer to teach a live course if possible. Um, yeah. And I'm sure you would say the same thing because there's just yeah. something different. Now, the benefit of the online courses that can be done at your convenience, I could have someone who's in another country in another time zone, take it at, the, at their convenience. But I'll be honest, I have probably four or five online courses that I purchased from people I want to learn from that are sitting on my laptop that I haven't opened yet. Um, there's something to that live experience, that connection that you make, not only with the person in the front of the room, but the people sitting next to you and around you. Yeah. So, you know, for the people that haven't experienced that, who've only know online education, kind of give your insight into what the, the, the elegance and magic of, of being in a live event can be if it's done well. Uh, that's, I, I love that. That is such a great point because when you're in a live setting, um, that's exactly it. You're interacting with other professionals in the room and you never know what, uh, who's going to show up to those courses, which is the beauty of it. You learn so much, not only from the person or group presenting, but the people around you and the ability to respond quickly as an instructor, uh, to giving feedback to the questions that pop up, that you get to share the nuggets of your experience that really, um, I think exponentially expand, like you, you have a piece of, of content that you're trying to convey, but the questions that come out of it or being able to get um, down on the ground and try things out, or, um, you know, if you're working with implements, being able to physically go through that and have the experience of connecting with what you're teaching is by far, I think my favorite thing. And I, I feel like the, the feedback that we get is just tremendous when it comes to um, teaching a live course and that point of who's in the room. I really believe that I built my career by going to NSCA meetings, um, interacting with the people that are in the meetings with me, going to trainings, interacting with the people in those trainings, and then expanding the relationships from there that that, that provided. I truly believe that my career was absolutely influenced by the people I put around me. And a lot of it was in those types of events, so. Amen to that. And so what that means, you know, if you're listening is when you're at a course, if you do step out and get to a live course, don't sit there with your head in your phone. Like talk to people around yeah. you, you know, even just looking at this podcast. I met Charlie Weingroff at the first SFMA course at Athletes Performance in Arizona. Uh, we had John Rusin on as a guest and he tells a story of how he was an attendee at an FMS course that I taught or, or, or some seminar that I taught as a young PT. Um, and then that's how we ended up making the connection 15 years ago. So like all these different things that you just never know who or what's going to be around you. And just to keep your eyes open from that is, is completely uh, invaluable. And so I, I highly encourage people to get back out and, and, and invest in going. And yeah, maybe you got to, you know, spend a little bit of money on a room or go on the road, but it'll be well worth it. You'll forget about that money you know, three months later, but you will never forget the impact that that has on your career. Yeah. So, you know, this, I have to tell a little story because, you know, what you guys are describing was exactly my experience actually with both of you guys, because I came into FMS a little bit later and, and, and both of you were instrumental again, in my development. with the, uh, here we go. Again. Look, <laughs> hey dude, I, look, it, I'm, I'm getting ready on, to have a we're moment. We're going to ding these yeah. up on, the, on the wall over here. Right now okay, and, go and on YouTube and look at the gray in your beard, Perry. All right. That's a mustache. If you see that mustache, that's 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 straight. That's straight man right there. That's all it is, bud. You're just jealous. But let's oh, see you right grow a mustache, that. Mr. Degatti. Okay. You all right. Like I'll Luigi be back in a year. There. You look like Luigi over there. You look like you'd be I'll a be Mario back. Brothers. I'll be back in a year. All right. So, anyways, what I was gonna say is, uh, I was actually fortunate enough to have both Diane and and, and Eric help me. Um, with my career because they taught me about public speaking and how to become a better presenter, and I sucked at first. 
but and they busted my balls but at the same time they were very nurturing with the process because they helped me a ton but i was willing to make mistakes and learn and they just gave it to me straight and they told me what i needed to hear sometimes i didn't want to hear it but it was it was really it was that to me that's what a true mentorship is right they're they're going to have high expectations for you but at the same time they see something in you and and both of you did that for me because if it wasn't for both of you i will say this i don't think i would be where I am from a presentation standpoint, because I learned so much from you guys and Brett. I mean, I had to, you know, you guys, if you guys saw behind the scenes of, you know, how nervous I was, you know, making sure I didn't screw things up or say the things that I shouldn't say or do the things I shouldn't do. It's, it's just one of those things where it, it was really cool to have you two literally for like years, like years help me get to that point where I eventually became a lead instructor. And that was on a four day notice because I had to go down to Exos and, in Frisco, Texas at last minute. And I went from the lead instructor to the full-time instructor. And that was like, Hey, by the way, you're going to Texas in three days and you're teaching a three-day course. It was like baptism by fire. But if I didn't have <laughs> you guys to help me and prepare me and to be like, look, you're ready. I wouldn't have been able to do that. So I just want to say to both of you guys, you guys like literally changed the trajectory of my career. So that's a little time to say thank you. Cause you guys are both pretty badass. Oh man. Thank that. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, wait, we pulled the highlight clips. I know where the first highlight clip clip coming from. I'm just yeah. Put, put that, that in, and then then put, put the on other ones on social media. You guys after. Yeah. <laughs> no, but no, those um... I'm chopping out. <laughs> so, anyways, we're gonna move on. But uh, so you hear of fitness professionals taking courses, right? Sometimes they take courses simply to check the boxes and get the CEUs, and other times they take courses that maybe they really love or they're interested in, but they don't get any credit or CEUs. How do we? How do we, you know, sort of dance the balance of those two things? Um, great question. Uh, I think that, you know, the, the, the straight answer is when you're seeking out and investing in yourself, rarely are you counting the CEUs. You look back at your, your experience over the year and you're like, got it covered. Um, you know, mainly because it's not a decision at the end of the year. Do I do this education because it's worth this many CEUs? It's more of a question of, am I going to do this education because what is it going to provide back for me? What experience is it? Is it just self-improvement? Like, I feel like right now, communication, self-improvement, understanding business, those could be extremely valuable, but a lot of those may not apply to the CEU for your certification. Um, so that's where you might find that, that, um, quandary, so to speak, of I, I went to a course, but it didn't have any CEUs. Um, on the other side of that, you know, a lot of um, experience comes from looking at these courses and saying, what is it, again, what am I investing in? I, I truly believe, and I've stayed true to this, if I'm not, if I am not investing 15% of what I want to make in my education and in myself, I'm falling short. So easy math, if I want to make a hundred grand, I need to be spending 15 grand on myself and my development. And you tell that to a new trainer and like, whoa, that's like no way. And absolutely, that's like minimum of being able to say, I'm building my framework. I'm covering my CEU somewhere in there easily. Um, it shouldn't, I, I really believe it shouldn't get down to the point where you're saying, I, I want to take this education, but I'm, I'm due for my CEUs. So I've got to choose the CEUs. Um, it, it really shouldn't get to that point, but, um, uh, I understand you're going to have to figure out CEUs in there somewhere. So looking at the organization, trying to best figure out where that, where those, um, dollars are spent and cover those CEUs over time, you usually have two years to do that. So within that two year period, um, you know, I really believe you should be able to cover those CEUs. That may not be the popular answer, but, um, I know that also hidden trick, a lot of organizations let you choose some of these CEUs in the other category and you can petition to have them covered if they're not on the list. So that's just a little tip and trick there too. Yeah. I mean, our course is, is something that people have submitted for CEUs and gotten credit for them. So, yeah. um, now a lot of things we talk about in our content and, and um, in our courses is we've talked a lot about like the, the beginner trainer, the novice trainer, but we talk about, okay, transcending to be that top 1%. And sometimes, you know, that beginner intermediate trainer is hearing like, 
wow, I've seen that kind of money per year, five digits per year, right? That sounds an awful lot, but that's the kind of habits, that's the kind of behaviors in, in betting on themselves that, that the, the top 1% does. And so we've, we've been fortunate to have some really successful veteran coaches on the show. And a lot of them had a similar theme that you get to a certain point where you know kind of enough about the X's and O's of exercise and sets and reps. And it's not about that anymore. And it's the mastery is about the delivery and learning how to understand and relate with people. Um, and so you end up, because if you keep piling on skills on top of that, it's, it's, it's always good to know, but it's, it's like I say, it's like having a Ferrari in the garage. Like how many times do I actually get to use this information? Um, and so when, how soon should we start to acquire that information? And when do we start to see that transition to where it's like, you, you kind of know enough that you can train the people from the X's and O's standpoints. You just need to get really good at getting people to, to buy in and follow you and do what you say. No, I mean, that's a, that's a great point. At, at some point, there's only so much you can put in your program, no matter how great the exercises are. Um, you know, the X's and O's, once you've built that foundation, it really is about communication. How are you building out the services around or your, the experience around that? Um, I, early on, um, when, when I think about the different types of clients that I was able to train, I was very fortunate. I worked early on in a facility that uh, worked with athletes, worked with special populations, worked with weight loss, anybody who walked through that door. Um, it, it was a different experience based on, on our particular environment, catering to all of those different things. And it really came down to training hours and experience in developing those extra skills um, that you're bringing to the table, to your point, is, you know, how are you communicating with your teams? How are you structuring the small groups that are a little bit different that create an experience that really keeps people engaged? And it's not just um, getting through that hour and seeing how much they sweat. What are you doing to make this a long-term experience for them uh, based on what their goals are? And so communication uh, being able to speak well in public, being able to respond to people. Um, I think that's, you know, I, a lot of us have taken improv classes, have really challenged ourselves beyond um, what it was just being a trainer. I know right now that I learned business the hard way. So another piece of that is really understanding what it means to, to run a business, own a business, if that's your goal. And that goes beyond the training. And that really helps you take those next steps. I can tell you to this day, uh, owning my first business, how much the rent was based on being down there in Florida. It was $10,178.10 that you're just trying to figure out how to make that rent at the moment. And I look back and say, I didn't have the skill sets to understand the business side of things too. So, um, you know, those things are critical beyond the training to really help you take those next steps. You know, it's funny when we talk about mastery, if you were to sit back and watch two sessions and the difference in if you watch my session, and I would, it would be a cringe fest of, you know, session from 25 years ago versus today is what you thought starting out was what you needed to do was brain dump every single chance you had. And, you know, I want to use fancy Latin terms and explain anatomy and explain, you know, concepts to people and until you realize they don't really care. Um, and then I tried to fill the void of every single dead, you know, dead space of, of silence with some, some more just information. And the more mature I got and the more wise I became as a coach, there was less and less of that. And there was more confidence of that. And with that, the clients became more confident in me and that they'll sometimes, you know, get freaked out. They're like, am I doing this right? I'm like, you're not saying anything. I'm like, if you shut me up, you're doing it right. I'm not going to say things just for the sake of saying things. Um, and so having the confidence that my my programs can be really simple sometimes. They're, they're not uh, the, you know, 1,875th exercise on my list. It's a really fundamental row exercise, but it's just how I teach it and explaining why they're doing it and then when they're doing it. And 
how many times they're doing it is really where the art comes in and really understanding how to be artful and how you do this is only going to come through is through through gaining wisdom and through getting more confidence that you don't need to overly impress them it's your confidence and and that is going to eventually build their confidence in you that's going to make the programs really thrive Absolutely. I, and I love that, that art piece and how we're communicating, how we're cueing, how we're um, bringing that experience to the client, whoever they are. Um, like you said, you can't overemphasize that enough as you start building your expertise. It's so hard at some point to say, I know something, um, you're looking at the movements, you're, you're defining it. And instead of just, like you said, spewing out this regurgitated um, 10 page reason why it's what are the few keywords that are going to make a difference in their movement and help them feel it better. And so you, you start having confidence in that. So you're right on the money there, Eric. And, hey, D, you've mentioned like communication and I feel like, you know, as someone who has, um, you know, throughout my lifetime, I've had mentors that have helped me with public speaking. I've I've done therapy from, you know, all my stuff with cancer. And and one thing that I realized is that, um, you know, when it comes to whether you're a coach, whether you are a, you know, in management or you own a gym, um, quality communication is really what will make that business thrive. And I used to think it was about heart rate variability and business and biomechanics and sciencey stuff. And, and that's important. Like you have to be competent there. But one thing that I've learning and, and to, to what Eric was saying is like, kind of once you hit that point of competency, you know, the rest is delivery. So you have to have the competency and the delivery. And I just feel like it's been a very odd transition of being, seeing the ability to communicate that information take off while the mm -hmm. information have, hasn't really changed all along. And I think that's the sweet spot for so many coaches. But let me ask you this, how important is it to improve our ability to communicate, whether it's in person or whether it's in a small group setting or whether it's in front of 500 people, a thousand people? Um, I, I personally think it's huge. Uh, I think getting outside your comfort zone and just being able to explore that is always going to make you better. Whether it's in front of 50 people and you're coming back to that single person, uh, you know, later that week, I think that having those experiences that allow you to explore your communication style, you're really let you come out authentically. I think that's hard too, because you see these people that you really want to emulate and you see these great speakers and we all kind of, um, I'm not a great mimicker. You guys are like, you guys can pull out movie quotes, like nobody's business. Um, but it's, it's that feeling of, how do I come across authentic? How do I explore my communication style and be more effective? And a lot of that comes from being a much better listener. It has, you know, it's getting that experience of how then do I take that information and turn around and deliver something that um, provides value? Because, you know, I can say early on that I was a big proponent um, especially when I own my own facility of not training my females and males completely different. I looked at them as humans, good programming, solid programming. I approached them the same, but I couldn't talk to them the same. A female is going to interpret things a little bit differently um, than a lot of my male clients would. And it's recognizing that and saying, how do I reach them and really touch them in a way that um, gives them a better human experience um, day in and day out. And so for me, that's really important. And I still feel like that when I go get the opportunity to talk in front of large groups or at conferences is how do I look at the people in the audience and know I'm connecting with them individually and not talking over them to the back of the room. And it really takes um, that experience of trying to connect. And I think that's, that's a huge piece of it to your point, Mike. All right, so I want to squeeze one more in here, Dee, and, and it's going to be a doozy because it's it's something we actually have a webinar that we talk about that that we kind of say that generally people get into this field um, and they have one of three end goals in mind. Um, and we kind of tell them a little bit about, all right, well, here's what it's going to take and here's some of the downside that you don't see of 
One is they like to say, I'd like to have this really high profile or high paying clientele, whether it's big time athletes or I'm, I'm training the, you know, the filthy rich uh, and I can charge big, you know, big ticket uh, type programs. That would be one. Two uh, is they want to own their own facility um, or three, they want to go out and they want to be in the front of the room and they want to either be creating courses or, or being a presenter or doing those sorts of things. So those are kind of one of the three things. Fortunately for us, we've done all three, but we also explain to them that with each of those, you have to understand that, well, you want to train big ticket. Well, so does everybody else. And that the people who are going to pay big ticket or really high profile, the stakes are a lot higher. And yeah. so if you, you know, if you have your, you know, person who's your, um, who works at the bank locally and you have a, have, have them have a twinge in their back when it's in the middle of their session, it's not going to be the end of the world. If I do that to a guy who's supposed to be the starting quarterback on, on Sunday, then yeah. I'm on the front page of the New York Post, right? So there's some, there's, there's, and then everybody's gunning for your head and they can't wait for you to go down. Um, then owning a facility, like there's a big difference between being a really good trainer and being a really good business owner, I learned that the hard way owning a facility for 12 years. It's two completely different worlds and you have to learn that. And then when it comes to being the presenter in the front of the room, we say like, okay, well, what do you have? And I actually remember um, one of the guys that I had kind of mentored me early on was Joe Dowdell, who owned Peak Performance in New York. And I remember asking him about presenting and getting to that level. And he's like, you need to be able to teach something that somebody else isn't already teaching right? And that somebody else isn't already doing. So what is, what makes you unique? And so if you could just kind of dabble a little bit in those those pathways and, and kind of your experience and, and, and your vision of what that looks like for, for someone who's aspiring to one of those things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, to your point, if I'm looking at high profile athletes or celebrities, um, I've had the privilege of, of dabbling and or not really dabbling. I, we, we actually trained uh, a lot of different athletes. I was, uh, at the time, a female training a lot of um, male dominant sports. And so, you know, what it took was um, not only being on top of my game in terms of the training, but it was understanding the service side of it and the delivery, the results. And to your point, Eric, I mean, when people have um, a lot of resources to spend on the training, they're going to scrutinize what the training is, and they're often going to be looking for the ne next best thing. And so you constantly have to build your um, program around um, delivering to that high profile personality. And it's it's a different ballgame. Um, when you have the ability to uh, train, I hate to say more average person, I love my, I learned so much from my clients, they're amazing people. Um, but you're going to, my clients that I had for 10 years, weren't your high celeb, you know, your, your professional athlete. Um, it was to your point, it was, um, a retired individual who, um, you know, I was able to understand they have Parkinson's, they're a golfer. They, you know, there's different things that they had to deal with. And over time we grew and tackled it together. The, um, the training piece of that really is is a trade-off when you look at some of those high profile uh, situations versus really building out your community in a much more broad scale and the benefits of that. Um, quickly on the on the business side, uh, I can't emphasize enough. If I could go back in time, it would be learning how to uh, run the foundations of a business so that didn't put so much strain on me and um, the people, that, that my partner and my business partner at the time and the other uh, people within our um, teams, because we would have understood the basic tenets of business and um, how to run that business, how to deal with, you know, how to do marketing, how to really just simply do operations and things like that. The business side of it is a, if you're going to own your own facility and your own location, you have to have either yourself that's versed in that or have somebody that you know you can count on um, and have that partner that can do that. Um, and then what was the third thing? I think I've totally got lost. Being a presenter or doing education. Uh, how could I forget that? Um, you know, uh, honestly, 
so many people have come up after a presentation and said, I want to do what you do. How do I do that? And it, it's not something that you can flip a switch and say, go take this course over a weekend and, and you're going to be able to do this. It's um, being a presenter really takes um, building your foundation, having time to build that experience uh, to where you've had um, so many different situations to pull from. And uh, and honestly, it's it's communication. It's like Mike said, delivery. It's how do I make myself provide not only the experience that people are going to want to listen to me, but what are they going to get afterwards? For me, that's a big piece of being a great presenter or a good presenter um, is the people that are up on stage that I know that I walked away with something that was a value. I've been in a lot of rooms where it's an exciting personality and it was a fun hour. But then after the fact, I looked, I, I, I was thinking back, is there anything that I took away from after that hour? And I think for me, that's, that's an important piece of having the con something unique, having a perspective, um, delivering it in a certain way that the people in the audience can take something away and use that in that next week when they go back to work um, or go back, you know, whatever they're doing. To me, that's really important because there's a lot of dazzling personalities that I love listening to. It's what do you, what value do you take away from after that? And I think that's really important to realize that's a piece of it. It's not just about being an entertainer. It's awesome stuff. And I can tell you as someone who's had the, the privilege of, of teaching with Diane multiple times that I always came away learning stuff you know, just sitting in the room while, while she was in the front. Um, so, so tell us a little bit about what you're doing now and what you kind of are in the plans for, for 2024 and beyond. Yeah. Um, you know, I took on this new challenge with no fully learning group, which is, um, a, uh, they, they own a lot of different online education, uh, uh, companies, and I am, uh, going to be helping them revamp their fitness, wellness, and nutrition, lines for online education. So I get the privilege of coming in and working with a lot of, uh, you know, my network of contributors coming in, look, you know, building education um, and trying to really enhance that space uh, in the online training world. Um, also for me, I think it's a great challenge to uh, be involved where we're bringing in nutrition experts, we're bringing in the health coaching side of things and really looking at how we can bring those worlds together uh, with the fitness and personal training. So uh, for, for me, um, I'm getting to work with a, a, a great team uh, there at No Fully Learning Group. And that's, that's my challenge for 2023. And then um, however I can continue learning myself, being the ultimate student um, along the way, so. Awesome stuff, just as we expected, Perry. Yeah, no, as yeah, this was a good one. I was looking forward to this. Uh, we haven't been able to connect in quite some time, so it's always good to see you. And uh, no, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge today. This was awesome. And, uh, you know, uh, I can't wait to go back and listen. It's going to be a lot of fun. I appreciate it, guys. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks, Diane. And thank you all for listening. And this has been the Principles of Performance Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Principles of Performance Podcast. If you've enjoyed our content, please like and share on your social media outlets as well as subscribe and give us a review on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or whatever your preferred platform is to listen to. For more information on the Principles of Program Design courses and workshops, visit us at www.principlesofprogramdesign.com and follow us on all of the social media channels where we post new content every day. To save 10% on any PPD courses, enter the discount code PRINCIPLESPODCAST10 at checkout. If you have any questions we can answer or suggestions for the show, you can email us at info at principlesofprogramdesign.com or message us on social media. Thank you again for your support.